And welcome, friends, to the Generations Radio Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you today. Adam McManus joins me. And wow, the petty persecution heating up against Christian groups. A president of a conservative Christian advocacy group out in Virginia, they had a annual dinner planned at a local restaurant, and within an hour of the event, it was all shut down. Metzger Barn Butchery. Apparently, somebody at the organization, or somebody at the restaurant, did a search on the organization, which is the Family Foundation of Virginia, and discovered they were pro-life, they were, you know, pro-traditional marriage, and they said, okay, you're canceled. So they canceled them at this particular restaurant. Phenomenal. Allegedly, the employees did not feel safe. They did not feel comfortable. And this is the new crazy world that we're living in, Kevin. I have a friend who's my age in his mid-50s, and he has older children, went off to college. I happened to get married at 40. Anyway, that aside, he said his daughter came back from college freshman year for Thanksgiving break or Christmas break. And all of a sudden, she, anytime he championed a Christian worldview notion of being pro-life or pro-marriage or what have you, she said, I'm getting triggered. I'm getting triggered. I can't hear this. This is, this is not a safe environment. I mean, she had literally in three months been brainwashed. She couldn't even have a conversation with her father. Oh no. Where they obviously now have a disagreement on issues. She, she went away to college as a pro-life Christian and she came back as a liberal nut job who said she was triggered. And I guess she wanted to get in the fetal position with a heating pad and a blanket and a lollipop. Who knows? Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess the, the the what's happening to the snowflakes out on the college scene. The, the, anyway, let's get back to the story in Virginia. Victoria Cobb told Harris Faulkner, she said it's stunning. It does feel a bit like no Christians can eat at here at this restaurant. And she says this is just religious discrimination. She also said most, if not all, faiths not only allow for the provision of services like food at restaurants to those with whom they disagree, but they also encourage it. Sure. Uh, that is, except for those people who find it unsafe to serve food to people who disagree with them, which happens to be this this group of religious liberals who just simply cannot allow for anybody to be in their presence who might take a different position than they take on issues like homosexuality, abortion, or fill-in-the-blank. What happened to freedom of association, freedom of assembly, freedom of speech? These very same whacknut liberal servers who are objecting to the presence of a Christian pro-life person that, by the way, would pay them handsomely in a tip with a large group, I would add. They would rather cut off their nose despite their face, lose money because they're taking a quote-unquote in their mind, a principled stand against terrible people who happen to be Christians. And and she rightly says, Victoria Cobb of Family Foundation of Virginia, if I had said black people make me feel unsafe or Muslim people make me feel unsafe or homosexual people make me feel unsafe, how many lawsuits would be filed against the restaurant there in Richmond, Virginia, Metzger Bar and Butchery? They would have had had to hire a whole team of attorneys to defend themselves, but they can apparently get away with it if the target is a Christian group. Yeah. And 
Yeah, I think Christian restaurants would pro- provide food for Muslim groups or liberal groups. There's still food offered to idols and the shambles sort of thing. That's what restaurants are. There's a certain amount of, you know, I mean, everybody is served. Now, now here's, here's one of the things, though, that I'm still asking the question, especially after the discussion that occurred at the U.S. Supreme Court over the question of the 303 web creative case. And the, the discussion, you know, brought out some of the hypotheticals. Where do you draw the line? That was the question that was posed to the attorney from the Alliance Defending Freedom at the U.S. Supreme Court. And I followed some of the argumentation for a while. And here's, here's one of the questions relating to catering. Now, apparently, you know, the ADF is going to say, well, catering will allow for that. But I'm still asking the question. I, I'm not sure where to draw the line on catering. And let me give you some examples. Uh, I'm torn as to whether a Christian catering business would want to cater a nudist camp, for example, or even a homosexual wedding. Do you, do you, do you maintain a no shirt, no shoes, no service policy when you're catering a nudist camp, for example? <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. You would need to. <laughs> you, 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 you think so? You cannot, you cannot have the nudists. You have to draw the line at nudists. Well, again, I'm saying, I'm saying I, I think private businesses need to be able to answer these questions for themselves. And there is a point at which, yeah, you do deny service. But, but the, the, the line certainly isn't at the point at which someone walks into your restaurant and they're maintaining a different perspective on abortion or they're Muslims or they're Hindus. And, you know, you're saying, well, I just don't agree with that worldview so therefore, I'm not going to serve you. I just don't think that's appropriate. That doesn't align with the food offered to idols line that is drawn in Scripture. And that's, I think we have a fairly objective line to draw on issues like this. Now, uh, Bill Jack was mentioned by Justice Gorsuch again in the discussion on the 303 creative case, which is interesting. Uh, in fact, I think Bill Jack's uh, attempt to walk into a bakery that was run by those who are more supportive of the progressive cause and uh, sexual nihilism, et cetera, et cetera. He walks into one of these restaurants and he uh, suggests that they make a cake for him, which contains certain Bible verses that is not favorable towards certain sexual perversions. And he's denied service. Okay. And Justice Gorsuch mentions that situation. William Jack, he refers to William Jack in his discussion uh, this last Monday relating to the 303 creative case as to whether or not to you know deny service for homosexuals if it affects uh, freedom of speech issues, as in the case of website design, as in the case of wedding cakes, et cetera, et cetera. And it turns out that the Colorado Commission did not take the side of Bill Jack, but said, oh, no, 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 these bakeries don't have to bake those cakes. But boy, if these homosexuals walk into a Christian bake shop, the Christian has to render you know, proper prostrations to the homosexual agenda and produce cakes for homosexual weddings. And so, so you know, what's good for the goose is not good for the gander, according to the Colorado Commission. The double standard is alive and well. And I'm not sure where the Supreme Court of the United States is going to fall on this. No. Given the 303 creative case. Now, I know that you know our side is fairly encouraged by what they're hearing, but Gorsuch took the wrong position on Bostock, uh, as will Roberts. 
And so I don't know where they're going to fall down on these issues. It seems to me that, you know, Christians are denied service, whereas, you know, when Christians say, hey, I can't, I can't do this, and they want to deny service, that's not going to fly for our political leadership today, especially in some of these more liberal states like the state of Colorado. So the fact is that Christians are the ones more hated in our society than any, anybody else. And I, I want to address why that's the case. Why is it that Christians tend to get the short end of the stick? Why is it that, you know, uh, these restaurants w- wouldn't dare say, you know, black people make me feel unsafe or Islamic people make me feel unsafe or homosexual people make me feel unsafe and deny service? They wouldn't do that, but they certainly would for Christians. Why is it? that Christians are the most persecuted, the most likely to be opposed and and refuse service in these restaurants and other organizations like bakeries. That next on Generation, stay with me. What happens when a culture that was established and guided by biblical principles abandons the faith and seeks to live by its own wisdom? In his latest groundbreaking work, Epic, The Rise and Fall of the West, Kevin Swanson unfolds the dramatic history of Western civilization, highlighting the phenomenal impact that Jesus Christ and his people have had upon the thought, culture, and institutions of the Christian West, as well as tracing the slow but devastating decline of Western civilization and the key factors that have led to our spectacular fall over the centuries. A sobering narrative of gospel hope, this book urges its reader to greater fervency in the work of discipleship and the development of an international vision for the church. This is truly a must-read for any Christian seeking to understand the times and seasons in which we live. You can claim your hardcover copy of Epic, The Rise and Fall of the West by visiting generations.org store today. That's generations.org slash store. And we are back on the Generations broadcast. Kevin Swanson with you, also Adam McManus. And trying to understand why is it that Christians get the short end of the stick? Why are Christians discriminated against and, you know, refuse service at restaurants? And yet that wouldn't happen for Muslims. That wouldn't happen for homosexuals. That wouldn't happen for any other group or minority group in America. Why Christians? Adam, you got a thought on that. I do. I think it's because primarily of the exclusive claims of Christianity. Best represented by John 14, 6, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, it's a very exclusive offer, no one comes to the Father but by me. So contrary to these bumper stickers that you see that use all the different religious symbols of the world's religions that say coexist, it's one thing to coexist, but the implication of the bumper sticker, however, is that all roads lead to heaven, and we just have different names for prophets or God or what have you. Muslims call Mm -hmm. God Allah. No, no, Allah is the false moon god. Muhammad is not a legitimate prophet. He's a false prophet. So you can point to Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, the various cults. So if there is a religion like Christianity that has these kinds of exclusive claims, then when Christians who represent Christ 
who are his ambassadors are in and about the society, whether it be at the restaurant in Richmond, Virginia, at the Metzger Bar and Butchery, or wherever, first of all, our very presence makes those who have not yet received Christ as Savior feel guilty for having rejected the offer of salvation. So they already have a chip on their shoulder when interacting with us because our our presence and our witness and our claim that they need to come to Christ as well, one beggar telling another beggar where he found food, is indicting to them. And then Secondly, if we dare speak out in the public square, like the Family Foundation of Virginia clearly has, under the leadership of Victoria Cobb, the president, as she talked on the Faulkner Focus on Fox News, then that really puts them over the edge. So some server or group of servers apparently did their little Googling on their smartphone in between their little breaks at work and found out, oh, heaven forbid, the Family Foundation believes that marriage should be between one man and one woman, abortion is wrong, transgenderism is an abuse of the body, and therefore, I don't feel safe. These people not only scare me, these people are hideously evil, and I don't even want to touch their plate or have to pick up their plate because they, in my view, as the server, the liberal server, are so misguided. That's what this is all about. Let me piggyback on that. I think it is because we take sin seriously. Christians take sin seriously. Christians tell the truth. People don't want to hear the truth. Uh, From my new book, Worldview, let me just throw this out because uh, I've been working through a contrast of worldviews in my new book, Worldview, coming out in a couple of months. It's called Worldview, What We Believe, What They Believe, and Why They're Wrong. And here's, here's the way I wrap up my section on the nature of man. Every worldview perspective presents what is perceived to be the problem with man and then offers a solution. Thus far, it should be obvious that every other worldview besides that presented by God's revelation has set out to minimize the problem of sin. This is all part of suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Entire systems of thought are invented attempting to reduce man's problem to something more manageable on his own, ignoring God's holiness, removing the notion of God's judgment and hell. Only the Christian faith is willing to seriously grapple with man's problem. No other worldview is willing to engage the severity of the problem or offer the only effective solution to it. That's because these worldviews are geared to soften the impact, anesthetize the conscience, and pave a smoother way to hell. Man's need is a new heart, real transformation of life, and a satisfaction for guilt, and that cannot possibly be produced by the scheme provided by Mormonism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, or any other world religion. Only God could possibly bring about the solution for such a cosmic problem of infinite proportions. In consideration of the nature of sin, the law of God, from a Christian perspective, one cannot help but be struck by the sheer enormity of the human problem. Think about this. A single disobedient action has resulted in all the pain and evil in the world, the agony, the broken relationships, the depressions, the suicides, the wars, the cruelty, the murders, universal death for mankind, and the damnation of hell where the fire is not quenched and the worm never dies. 
What manner of offense would bring that degree of devastation to the world? That is Adam's first sin, bringing all of this horror upon the whole world over the last 6,000 years. What kind of offense would bring that degree of devastation to the world? The law of God must be holy, and God must be most exceedingly holy. Indeed, sin must constitute the most egregious defilement of the holy creation of God and quite the infinite insult to the holiness of God, warranting such utterly terrifying, severe judgment at the divine dictate. Above all, what holiness must be offended by sin that would require the sacrifice of the eternally beloved Son of God for sinners like us, this is the point at which all the man-made religions of the world have it all wrong. They utterly fail to come to grips with the problem with man or to arrive at the solution. Okay, so that's the way I contrast the Christian world and life view with all of the other worldviews and religions in the world. That's where I came down on it, Adam, after all my research concerning all these religions and other worldviews. <laughs> um, and I think this is really hard for the conscience of modern man. It just makes people feel really unsafe. And you know what? That's right. They are unsafe. They are in a very unsafe position until they find safety in Jesus Christ, who took the condemnation of hell upon himself for us. So, you know, yeah, they're unsafe until they're safe in Jesus. Does that make sense? He is eager to throw them the lifeline, spiritually speaking, but they need to be rescued as we all do. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, Adam, um, I'm just going to add one more story to this before we're done, and this may be something of a disconnect, but that's all right, because I want to address what's happening in Bullhead City, Arizona. Here's a 78-year-old grandmother uh, cited for feeding the homeless at a community park in Bullhead City, Arizona, and these city ordinances, I mean, there's a bullheadedness (laughs) about these city ordinances. I don't know if you put that together when you covered this story on the World View or not, but there's a bullheadedness about the city council <laughs> that is uh, you know, throwing the book at a 78-year-old grandmother that's just trying to feed the homeless every day. Well, I have a different take on this than I think you left the listeners of the World View with when you wrote that particular story. Interestingly, I got an email from Amy's cousin in California, and he said, I want to tell you a story. In my neighborhood, which is not on the best side of town, we have some homeless that come through where the park is. We have what he called do-gooders who bring food on a regular basis. He said the problem is, and apparently it's in violation of some ordinance that they have in their city in California, or at least in that particular town. He said the problem is the homeless throw all the trash on the ground. They never throw anything out. So we've got a major litter problem, which leads to rats and mice and different infestations. There are needles left behind from the drugs they're using. Now it makes me uncomfortable sending my children there because I don't think it's safe because some of these people have mental issues and then the needles, etc. There's a place, obviously, and a time for compassion and help of the poor and the needy, I have told my children, look, when, when we see someone with asking for help on the side of the road, unfortunately, a lot of times they will use that cash to buy drugs or alcohol or cigarettes, things that are not good for them. We've got a number of homeless shelters here in San Antonio, through the city, through Salvation Army. I said, when you have 
percentage of your give money, you can give it to from your 10% tithe from the chore money you earn, you can give that to the Salvation Army. You can add it to what mom and dad are going to send them so that people do have a place to go that's safe and it's Christ-based and they're hearing the Word of God. So I think there's a smart way and a wise way to help the needy, and there's a way that might, on some level, encourage additional bad choices. Yeah, and I think you need to step back and say, okay, what are the biblical principles that tie into this? And the bottom line is, is public property. And I think the city has the right to to say, hey, you can't litter this place. Now, my understanding is this uh, this grandmother is is careful to pick up the litter. She leaves the place better than it was. Now, I think that the state in the, or the city has a obligation to keep things clean. But if it's a public place, it's rather hard to keep certain people from being there. And wow, I mean, restricting a private woman from doing this, you know, she could do it on the sidewalk. She could do it on a public street. She could do it in her front lawn. I think she should be able to do it on public property. Uh, that's in this idea of local governments restricting, 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 restricting. I don't think, you know, she's the person that needs to be restricted. Well, they arrested her. They actually arrested her. <laughs> now, if if you say, okay, now if you say if she, you know, could maybe do some other thing to help the poor and needy, that's okay. That's just a wisdom call. But, man, I'm not going to be a Monday morning quarterback on anybody who's out there doing anything charitable for anybody. I mean, right. praise God there's somebody out there doing something for somebody. Uh, so, you know, I'm not Monday morning quarterback. Right. And she makes all of this, to my knowledge, she makes all of this food at her own expense. She comes from a food industry background, having cooked at a restaurant for years. She said making this food and bringing it to the homeless in Arizona gives her a sense of purpose and she feels good about it. I see both sides. I see both sides of it. Yeah. And I just say more power to her. That's what I say. More power to her. Yeah. Um, and friends, here's one last thing I'm going to say. You know, we we pick on the federal government from time to time, but you know what? Some of the worst tyrants often turn out to be local magistrates, and we ignore these folks often, but they turn out to make our lives pretty rough. And I, th- that certainly was the case with the COVID restrictions. Praise God when we had commissioners in our local county, a sheriff in local county that did the right thing during the COVID uh, you know, crisis, quote unquote. The the local magistrates matter. That's what I'm saying. Our local magistrates really matter. And uh, wow. I think our local magistrates are sometimes too tyrannical. And that's because they've been raised in public schools where they haven't been taught the Constitution. They haven't been taught our history. They've been taught to regulate every area of life. And they're just jumping right in there to do just that. And so, you know, I, I have a beef with local magistrates as much as I do with liberals in Washington, D.C., Well, and this comes full circle because a lot of Christians, sadly, I've experienced this as a talk show host in San Antonio for 13 plus years, and I continue to send out an email locally about candidates for local elections. They just don't do the research. They don't take the time to look at the websites of the candidates, listen to them in town hall meetings, look at what the San Antonio or whatever the local paper is, look at voters' guides. And so I put it together after having done hours worth of research and I send it out and people say, I got your list. I voted your list. But really, 
people need to be empowered themselves to do their own research ultimately, yet Christians are oftentimes missing in action when it comes to voting in local elections for mayor, for city council. We get all excited and jazzed about the presidential election every four years. Midterm turnouts are typically lower, and uh, city council and mayoral turnouts are even worse. So the problem is with us. And and they can make your life so miserable. The local magistrates right. can make your life so miserable to the extent that, you know, the quality of life, I think, more and more is a matter of what your local magistrates are doing yes. versus the federal government. So, yes, right. it's closest uh, to you. amens to what you just said. And let me just close with this. Let's be sure we encourage local homeschooling families to get involved in local politics, and let's get more Christians who are freedom-minded, understand the principles upon which this nation was formed, and get them into local politics. Walter Williams said something one time that sticks in my mind. In fact, he said this in 1992, so I'm still remembering what Walter Williams from Grove City College, uh, good guy, good guy. Um, he's African-American economist, uh, taught uh, for many, many, many years, I think at Grove City. Uh, Walter Williams reminded us, our founders went to war over 67 cents of annual taxation, and we've seen government tax in America upwards of $36,000 per year. We're paying thousands of times more money than our forefathers did in taxation. And uh, wow, our founders went to war over 67 cents of annual taxation. We need to be concerned about the rise of government control, government funding, government taxation at the local, state, and federal level. We need to be concerned with tyranny at every level. And uh, let's give our children and let's give our church members uh, the principles of sound government, the principles of small government, the principles of biblical government. And I want to encourage families to my book, The Story of Freedom, which brings a biblical principle to bear in the area of the civil magistrate. And that, I believe, really does apply to local as well as state and federal governments. That wraps up this edition of the program. Friends, encourage you to The Story of Freedom, available at generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson and Adam McManus inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation. <laughs>